Good morning. All right, today's reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, North Country Alliance family. I am so excited to introduce the Reverend Dr. Phil Howard to you this morning. Phil has been a professor at Tacoa Falls College in Georgia for over 25 years. That's one of our Christian and Missionary Alliance colleges that we have here in the U.S. Prior to being a professor, though, Phil served as the founding pastor of North Country Alliance Church, and I'm so excited to have him preach this morning. We spoke a couple weeks ago, and it was very obvious from our conversation that we have very similar outlooks on what the Lord has called this church to do, and I'm so excited that the Lord has woven this story together from the beginning days of North Country Alliance Church to what God is currently doing in our midst and to where he's leading us in the future. And so I'm excited to have Phil share this morning. He's going to give us a look back at the early days of our church as well as the early church in the book of Acts. And then next week, I'm going to come preach from Acts 17 on a look ahead about where we're going as a church. And so please welcome Phil Howard to the stage this morning. Good morning. Um. One of the things that I get to do that I love to do as a professor is to uh, do premarital counseling and um, officiate at uh, weddings for student couples, student graduate couples. And I've got one coming up. As a matter of fact, a couple weeks from now, I'm flying back to Georgia to officiate and then flying back to Massachusetts where we're going to be vacationing for a while. One of the things that I've done over the last several years, those weddings that I officiate, is um, that I ask, uh, usually uh, the couple doesn't know that this is coming, but I invite the couple to um, turn around. They're facing me. Their back is to the congregation. And I invite them to turn around and look at the congregation and take in the moment. And um, I do that because uh, a wedding is establishing a covenant. It's not a contract. And they are agreeing with one another that uh, this is for life. There's no going back on this one. And uh, my unsubstantiated conviction, if you will, is that most couples that have difficulties and end up in divorce, some way or another forget what happened on the day that they were married. Again, that's unsubstantiated. But nonetheless, I invite couples to do that. And I, I describe, I, I, I ask them as a couple, as they're likely holding hands, and just kind of feel uh, each other's hands, and look around and see the people that are here, a part of this ceremony with you in an effort to perhaps um, create a mental image 
for them to keep with them 25, 30 years down the road. This morning isn't a wedding ceremony, but I'd like to do this. The very similar thing. I'm not going to ask you to stand necessarily, but what I would like you to do, uh, this is as much for me as it is for you, to be honest, um, just so I can collect my emotions. Um, if you would just look around for a while, um, see what you see. See the people that are around you, the people that you know, the people that you don't know, the people that have been here for a while, the people who are brand new. Take a look at the fans and the lights and everything. Just take a look at all of this. Take all of this in. What I'd like very much is that this become a moment that we remember, you remember, uh, for years to come. This is a past-future kind of Sunday. By the way, um, I, she's going to kill me for this, but Kathy, would you just, would you, <laughs> speaking of creating a moment, I just did, um, would, would, do you mind standing? And just, no, I'm really, I'm going to hear about this. No, it's, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was probably not the smartest move I'm <laughs> But she will tell you I've made a lot of non-smart moves in my life. So, um, I also mentioned this, and by the way, I, in a ceremony, uh, I don't rush it. Um, it may oftentimes get a little awkward, but I, I want that imprinting in their head, in their brain, to remind them of what that day is about. Um, somewhat similarly, perhaps, for you. Uh, Something that I'm sure you know, but maybe you need to hear again. Maybe you've lost sight of it somehow or another across time. But I want you to know that God um, cares a great deal for North Country Alliance Church. I want you to know that. Um, We're 42 years old, the, the church. I'm not. Uh, then again, neither is Dave or Tony or Harry Houtman. In fact, all of this started because we turned 73 this year. And uh, we thought, well, it'd be fun to just see if we could get everybody together. God cares very much for North Country Alliance Church. Um, it's not been easy. If you've been here for a while, if you have any years under your belt in terms of life experience. Um, And I know only some of the stories, but it has not been easy for many of you. Um, There's been loss. There have been setbacks. There have been failures. Um, Like all of us, uh, some of you, even this morning, likely come grieving Lamenting, the biblical term, the biblical concept of lamenting, um, understanding the current circumstances in which you find yourself, and yet finding and looking for hope in God in the midst of those circumstances. That's the lament, pouring out your heart. A lot of you, some of you at least, are likely doing that even this morning. Um, had some pastors, some have been 
a little harder than others, perhaps. But here you are. So this morning is about looking in the past for a little while, in the recent past, and then looking in the distant past at the establishment of the early church in the book of Acts, and essentially asking ourselves, is, are there any practices, any patterns that the Lord seemed to introduce into that early church in Acts chapter 2 that might create a style or a way of life that changed everything for those early believers. And if there are any of those patterns or those habits or those behaviors, if there are any of those then, are any of those in any way relevant for North Country Alliance Church in 2023? And it's a rhetorical question because I think that the answer is yes, quite frankly. So I'll end the mystery there. But um, I, I think it's important to ask because you may not be aware of this because if you've lived here for a while, but you do know that you are on the, ed- on the fringe edge of the universe here. You, you do know that, right? Uh, geographically. Um, the last time Kathy and I came here, we came on our motorcycle. I wasn't sure if I'd ever be invited back, not because of that, but because when we came up here, uh, I ended up getting the flu and John Walker had a heart attack. And I, we thought, well, that ends that run of visiting North Country Alliance Church. And so, in any event, you are on the fringe. Um, all that to say, God cares very much for North Country Alliance Church. He always has, and he always will. Let's pray together. Father, um, as we begin to explore your word this morning, with all of the experiences, all of the the, the trials that many of us have experienced, many, some of us may be in the midst of them now, the disagreements, the hardships, the failures, the, the losses, as well as the celebrations, the, the things in our lives that have gone well, the, the ways that you have demonstrated your faithfulness to us the ways that you have demonstrated your faithfulness to North Country Alliance Church over the years. We bring all of those factors of our lives and the factors of this church, we bring them to you this morning. And we ask that all of them, as a composite picture from all different ways of of life, and experiences, that all of them, Father, would come to be the material, the raw materials that you use to sanctify, to transform us as your people. Father, I pray that your Spirit will direct us as we look at your Word. I pray that we would be open to the voice and to the wooing, to that inner witness of your Holy Spirit that North Country Alliance Church, with all of its past and all of its presence, 
would take steps for its future that are ultimately um, um, in their origin and, and being galvanized by your Holy Spirit would, see, would, would serve to build your kingdom here in Plattsburgh. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a whole bunch of years ago, I was at Pineview Community Church. I was on staff there for about two and a half years. And during that time, uh, late 70s, early 80s, um, I would, we would receive newsletters from the, district, rather from the district office periodically. And in, that, in those newsletters, there, were, uh, there was a corner of, of information describing or identifying the places in the, uh, upstate New York where the district wanted to plant churches. And one of those had uh, an announcement that there was some interest in starting a church in Plattsburgh, and then there was a list of other communities across the state. And as I read that, we were living in downtown Albany, as I read that, I, I remember distinctly saying to Kathy, it's interesting, they want to start a church in Plattsburgh. And that was uh, a, a seed, if you will, a, a, an initial thought. And just a real quick background here, just so you have an idea of how my mind works. I have to go back a little bit further. I happened, was thinking about it earlier, I just thought about it again. Um, when Kathy and I were in college, Gordon College out in Massachusetts, we helped with another couple, another two couples, with the youth group. And there was a night that we took the youth group out and we went to Baskin and Robbins ice cream. Everybody went into the Baskin and, and, and Robbins and they looked at, they went across and saw different flavors and they picked whatever flavor they wanted, and they left. They went outside. For 20 minutes, without exaggeration, I walked uh, down one side, one counter, over to the other counter, and I, I was asking for samples, and I couldn't make up my mind. Uh, if I got one, I wouldn't be, if I got the coconut cream or whatever, I wouldn't be able to get the chocolate nut or whatever. And after a full 20 minutes, I walked out with nothing. Because I couldn't make up my mind. Now, I mention that because when I read about Plattsburgh, something was different and really uncharacteristic for me. For perhaps the first time in my life, I made up my mind. And I thought, this is where we're supposed to go. There was nothing. There was no core group. There was one couple, Jack and Janet Moravik, who had expressed interest and Tony and Jean Baldemir. I met with the uh, district, or we met with the district church planning director. Long story short, we ended up coming here in late May, early June, somewhere in that period of time, 1981. There was nothing here. The district bought a house on 3 Genesee Lane. You can look at it if you'd like. You may not want to. It's not in great shape. Kathy wasn't happy about it in the first place. It was no, she had not seen it. She wasn't involved in the decision. It was a small house. She was not happy with the decision. But we moved there. Kathy, Seth, and me, and then later our younger son Aaron was born. But there was nothing here. And so for that whole first summer, Tony and I met every single week at what is no longer around, Flo's Yellow Rose, up near the county fairgrounds. And every week we had incredibly cholesterol-rich, full 
apple, oops, apple critter, apple fritters, apple critters, apple fritters and coffee. And we sat and we studied the book of Ephesians, and this was the question that we asked. What's the church when there are no people and there's no building? That was the birth of North Country Alliance Church. We met with them in their house for a while, uh, the following August or so. And then we started to move. We made a big move and we went to the Holiday Inn. Is the Holiday Inn still here? Yes? Yeah, okay. We met at the Holiday Inn and um, we, they, uh, 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 they gave us uh, a conference room. And we had lunch every week, so we, rent, we didn't rent the conference room. We used the conference room, and, uh, and then we had lunch, and we ordered from the menu. And that became a culture issue for us, ultimately rooted in this passage in Acts chapter 2. We had lunch every single Sunday after worship. Uh, we moved for a period of time when they were doing a renovation of the conference room. We moved into the rendezvous room, the bar. I've thought since then, if I were to start a church again, I'd want to do it in a place like that. It was the coolest place. There's these round tables, and, and it was dark, and it was just a great place. And the Shinsky brothers, one Sunday morning, got to the bar before anybody else could and found shot glasses that were up there and tried to sample. It was a great experience for us as a church. It's on the edge. We're on the fringe. We didn't have a clue. We didn't know what to do. Didn't know how to give birth to a church. I mention this primarily because this is the church in Acts, and we're going to continue on just a little bit more with with the history of North Country Alliance, but I, I want to move through that so that we can start looking into the future. But the early church had to figure it out as it was going, as did we. We moved from the Holiday Inn, and we rented the square dancing bill, or the, uh, um, uh, the square uh, uh, hall, thank you. Um, and we continued, it, one of the great things about it was multi-purpose. We could have all that room where they did square dancing, and there were Sundays when they had a dance the night before, and there were bales of hay and, and all sorts of stuff all over the place, and we would set up and break down, and we would have lunch together every single Sunday, Acts chapter 2. Um, continued to grow. We... Um, started to um, have practice uh, with our worship band. Uh, I'm watching Gordon this morning and watching him, and he's, he does this stuff, you know, and he's kind of doing this. And, and uh, he would do that, and then, and then Gordon would say, Hey, Phil, what? And he would start riffing on some classic rock song, and we'd be off and doing that, and it just was Kathy Howie, and there was just a crew of us. In the midst of that, I want to mention one thing. I was 31 years old when we arrived. Pastor Kevin is 31 years old. I mention this because there were two kinds of people that came into my life that I tell students now that they need. Um, The first one... The first kind of person is a person that every pastor needs 
somebody or somebody's in their church who they give permission to say no to them. Um, I think every church, or every pastor, every leader that has experienced moral failure, somewhere along the line, they have not had a person who has the permission to say no. What you are doing, how you are responding, what you are saying, is this is not good. That person, for me, early on, was Gene Baldemere. There was a Sunday when we were in the square dancing hall when finances were really, really difficult, and that was a button for me. I just stressed out over money, and it was a tough time. It was a very difficult season and time. And there was a Sunday morning as we were done with our service and we were transitioning to lunch when Jean came over to me and she, and she said to the effect, when you, we, we can tell when you are discouraged. And it, is, it does not help us. I needed to know that. Every pastor, and I will speak to Pastor Kevin about this, if it hasn't already, every pastor needs somebody who, has, who they have given permission to say, you, you have permission to say no to me. But every pastor also needs somebody who cares more for them than they care for the church. And that may sound paradoxical, but it's not. Every pastor needs somebody in their their life that cares more for them than they care for the church. Not that they don't care for the church, but they care more for the pastor. Barrett was that person for me. He may not know this, but Barrett was. In fact, I'm starting to tell students now, you need a Barrett. When I was applying for my Ph.D., Barrett was a professor at SUNY Plattsburgh. He walked me through, he counseled me through the application process. We talked about what it was like to be a professor. We talked about what was going on in my own heart. And the day that I sent the packet of my application materials, Barrett came over to my study in the Route 3 property, and he literally laid hands on it, and he prayed over it, and and I sent it in. Barrett was the kind of person that cared more for me than he did for North Country Alliance. He loved North Country Alliance. It was not a characterization of that at all. But he cared more for me. Um, Kevin needs those kinds of people. He's 31 years old, like me, trying to figure it out. Sam needs those people too, I think. But Okay. Um, a lot to go on here, and we, I do want to move ahead. Um, uh, and I, we, we ended up buying the property on, on, on Route 3, um, and uh, so many stories there that could be told um, in terms of the renovation and, and so on. Um, the day that we left Plattsburgh, um, we were living again out in Genesee Lane, and uh, the day, the moment that we left, we packed up the truck, we we were ready to go, and I locked the door of our kitchen, and we got, I got in the car, and as we were driving away, I, I lost it, just absolutely lost it. And I said to Kath, I wonder if we're ever going to have another church experience like we did here. And um, we haven't. Um, I say that to encourage you. This is, you are, a very special group of people. 
and, and maybe this gets regular for you, and every Sunday, and you know this, and this is your world, and it becomes mundane and ordinary. Welcome to the Christian life. Welcome to the church life. Much of it is mundane. Much of it is ordinary. But it's in that context in which God demonstrates his faithfulness to you. Um, let's take a look at um, Acts chapter 2. I do understand, however, maybe I need to kind of draw a little bit of a more distant picture. Um, Pastor Kevin talks for a while, doesn't he? Preaches for a while. And ordinarily you get done at 1130? Is that right? About so? Um, Students tell me that uh, uh, I I have 50-minute classes on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, and uh, hour and a quarter classes on Tuesday and Thursday. And all my students say, we wish all of your classes were an hour and a quarter. So... I, we may be at this for a while. So you doing okay? Do you need to just take a breath or something? Just breathe? Okay. You can look around again if you'd like. All right. Um, before we get to Acts, here's the question. It's rhetorical. So maybe let me just reframe it as a non-rhetorical question. What, what are the practices, what are the, the ways of living that the Lord introduced into the life of the church in first century in a culture where all hope was lost in terms of what, what would happen to this, this, this group of people, um, what were the kinds of practices that would generate a sense of hope for them? So let's just go back to the time when Jesus was on earth and the, imagine that you are one of the disciples. He's encouraged, he's invited you to join him in, in whatever it was that he was going to, to do at the time. And in that context, you begin to see things and hear things and experience things that were far beyond your imagination. Beyond anything that you can possibly imagine doing, how do you feed five thousand people, for instance? Just one, for instance. And so, for a while, your hope is absolutely elevated, and and it's renewed, and it's 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 supported, and and then after three and a half years or so, that hope is lost, and you literally watch him being crucified. And I can't imagine that there would not be a sense of trauma, of literal, true, emotional trauma watching that taking place. So hope is lost. And then the unimaginable happens. He rises from the dead. He is resurrected and hope is regained. And then the ascension and again, only in, 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 uh, because of, of time this morning, just if you can for a few moments, try to imagine what that would have been like to actually talk with, talk with him, the, the one that was just a couple of days ago dead. Now he's sitting with you, walking with you, eating with you, interacting with you. You, you have those, kinds of, those conversations, and then you watch him rise to heaven. I, I, I don't know if in any way that we can imagine what that would have been like. 
And, and so perhaps for them at that point, there's this, this, this new sense of, of hope, and they gather together, and they, they begin to pray, and all of this happening in the span of a couple of days, there was this kind of this existential whiplash taking place. This happened, and then this happened, and they're back and forth and having to adjust and trying to understand all that was taking place in their life at the, at the moment. And then... 50 days later, Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes. How do you explain that? How, what, what, what can you possibly say? There is no blueprint for this. There's no textbook for this. They, they have no, no curriculum. They, 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 have got, they have no idea. There are no file folders for this. They, they, where do we put this information? This barrage of, of experiences and the hope lost and the hope, ga- uh, hope gained and hope lost and, and hope uh, uh, regained and so on. There is, there is this there's this, this constant activity beyond anything that they could imagine. In Acts 2.40, we read that Peter, of all people, Peter stood, and the word that's used there is that he pleaded with them, those that were hearing the message of what happened on the day of Pentecost. The word pleading has to do with encouraging, begging, exhorting, please, And then here's the pivot moment. 3,000 people respond. So let's imagine that's you. 3,000 people. Again, no curriculum. No guide. No, this is what you do when your church explodes. Nothing. And they have only other people and the work of the Holy Spirit. So, Acts chapter 2. Um, if you have your Bibles, if you um, would like to, to look at that, uh, that would be helpful. Um, let me just point this out as well as you're getting there. If you were to translate this to the current day, these 3,000 people, what would they be like? Um, we know that they came from all different regions and parts of the world or the known world at that time. But they likely, if we were to translate that to the current day, they would likely be people that with whom you would maybe not want to associate. Um, if it were today, there would be Democrats and Republicans. There would be NRA members and there would be uh, gun control activists. There would be beef eaters. And save the whale people. There would be rich. There would be poor. There would be professionals. There would be tradesmen and women. There would be people of different ethnicities and different races different languages. They would be people, some of whom were nice, and some of whom were not nice. A lot of whom you would not necessarily say, you know, I'd really like to be in their church. 
and they had to figure it out. Culturally, theologically, coming to Jesus, the events in Acts chapter 2, coming to Jesus represented one, it's very similar to our culture, represented one of many options, and even that option was not particularly highly regarded. Anything to do with Jesus was just only one of, uh, again, one of any, op- any number of options. And their political, their social, moral, economic world was antithetical, was becoming antithetical to, their, to anything that was represented by a corrupt Roman government. And so here's the deal. This is our culture. This is your world. And a line was drawn, in a sense, in the sand. Then there was no going back. Any hope that any political ideology, any economic plan, um, any business, any politician, any organization, anything that could, any hope that their life could be improved in any of those means, that was gone in coming to know Jesus. Now all they had, the only thing that kept them together, was their shared relationship with Jesus and a shared collective inner witness of the Holy Spirit. That's what held them together. Okay? They were different. Um, I won't ask how different are, you, you are. But I suspect there's a lot of differences here. I'm guessing there are Democrats here. I'm guessing there are Republicans here. I'm guessing there are NRA members and there are uh, gun control advocates, activists. I suspect there are some differences here. What held them together? A common love, passion for Jesus Christ, and a collective, a collective inner witness of the Holy Spirit. That's how they figured this out. Um, okay, finally, Acts chapter 2. Hmm. Can I give you, well, well, give me permission or not, I guess I'll do it. Um, just a little background on Acts. You may know this already, but just by way of review, Acts is an historic book in the Bible, in the New Testament. Um, In other words, it is, Luke was a physician. The author of Acts is Luke. He was a physician. And the book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. So Luke's concern is to provide us now what happened then in ways that can, can inform a style or a way of living that represents or reflects the same values, not necessarily a focus on behaviors, although there are some practices and behaviors that I think matter, but the emphasis is not do this and then that will happen. The emphasis is be this kind of people and then watch God, what God will do, a point that we'll come to in just a moment. And be that kind of people that are 
remarkably different than one another. So that's what Acts is all about. Hanging with me? Humor me. There are three values that I want to express that are found throughout all of this section in Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 2. Here's the first value. It relates very much to North Country Alliance Church. The church, the church, the church universal, but the church is the one thing that Jesus said that he would build. And again, I'm sure we know that, but in the days of, in the, in, the, in, the, in the really not fun days in February, when it's really cold and you're grumpy and tired of the winter and, and you just wonder, is this all worth it? And maybe you've had a disagreement with somebody here or you don't like what somebody is doing. You don't like what Kevin's doing or, or Sam or something. No matter what, keep in mind, first value that is found is embedded in this whole section in Acts chapter 2. The one thing that Jesus said that he was built is the church. And that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I, that I'm sure you are aware of. But it's a value to hold on to in the difficult days. And you've had the difficult days. We all have. Second value. The Holy Spirit, this is perhaps a little less popular... The Holy Spirit is less concerned with maintaining the status quo in your life and mine, and far more concerned with with transforming the lives of God's people and His church. Here's the irony. The Holy Spirit, is we refer to, as Jesus said, we refer to the Holy Spirit, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the Comforter. As the comforter, he isn't necessarily overly concerned with maintaining the status quo in our life. Or in the life of the church. What he is after. Because you and I are so different. Because you are so different from one another. Because your life circumstances are so different from one another in those experiences. And even your beliefs about politics and the economy and, and the world and, and what's going to happen and, and the election and, and all of that stuff. All of these things are so... The, the things that we, about which we differ in so many ways... The Spirit of God is far more concerned with transforming the, the lives of the individual lives of, of a church, of the church, as well as the church collectively. And the only resources, in a sense, that he has is your love of Jesus and your commitment to a collective inner witness of the Spirit. Will we, as a church, Listen and respond to the voice of the Spirit. That's the second value. The church is the one thing that Jesus said that he would build. The second is the Spirit of God is not so much concerned about about maintaining the status quo. Your life, my life, our lives is much more concerned with transforming, metamorphizing, making qualitatively different 
your life, my life, our life, and the life of the church. Third value, that is embedded here. In this process of transformation, the sovereignty of God and human responsibility never disappear. Both of them constantly active. God is sovereignly involved in the inner workings of North Country Alliance Church. And North Country Alliance Church is equally as responsible to respond to that inner working of the Holy Spirit. God's sovereign. Human beings are responsible. That relationship never disappears. That is, he is constantly, so he is constantly at work. So, I don't know if it's a phrase that you guys say. It's a phrase that I hear a lot when I'm interacting with students. And the phrase goes along this line. God really showed up tonight. Or we, let's pray that God shows up today. I'm sorry if this may, I don't know if this is what you guys say. But I know that students do. I really think that that's deficient theology. If God is sovereign, if God is omnipresent, is the theological term, yes? If God is sovereign, he's here. We don't have to ask him to show up. Who has to show up? Yeah, I like a lot of conversation. It's not going to happen here, I know that, but in the classroom. But we do. Yeah, we do. We choose. God reveals, he, God initiates, he's always active, he's always on time, he's always doing his thing. He's not concerned with maintaining the status quo, would that he was, but he's not. Some of us are wishing for just a little peace and quiet in our life. These first century believers, they didn't have it either, let's put it that way, the peace and quiet. God is always sovereign. He's always at work. He's always present. He initiates. We respond. The three values. The church is the thing that Jesus said he would build. God is not so much, the Spirit of God is not so much concerned with with maintaining the status quo, more about transforming us. Third value, all of this is in Acts chapter 2. Third value is that God's sovereignty and human responsibility never disappear in this whole process of transformation. Now we're going to get into Acts chapter 2. Are there particular practices? Are there behaviors? Are there there ways of living that Luke accounts for here in Acts chapter 2 that would, would describe a way of life demonstrating their profound love in Christ, love for Christ and hope in him? Three times, as you look in verses 42 and 46, and actually 114, excuse me, so 114, 242 and 246, the word devoted is used. They devoted themselves to. Um, The word devoted means or carries the idea of a prolonged stay. They were in this. It, it, it carries the idea of being persistent. Now, again, keep in mind the context. They had every reason not to stay connected. They were different. There were the Democrats, and they were voting for Biden or whoever, and there were the, the Republicans, and they were going to vote for Trump. And they, they, 
they could not agree on this, and yet they persisted in this one thing that kept them together. And well, one with two sides to it: their their love for Jesus and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Collective inner witness. That's what kept them together. They devoted themselves to 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 this to this way of life. This, there was a single-mindedness. There was a steadfast attention, a constant attention. In verse 14, chapter 1, it says that they all joined together constantly. They devoted themselves in prayer. When we get to chapter 2, there are four distinct, discrete qual- or, uh, practices, two couplets. So, this is if, you're, if you have your Bible, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And then they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So let's look at those two couplets for just a moment. The first thing that they devoted themselves to, <laughs> you do it every Sunday when Pastor Kevin preaches for 50 minutes. You're in it for the long haul. You're persisting because he's persisting. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These, <laughs> most of these individuals had heard of Jesus. Likely they were of Jewish background. But this was all new to them. You talk about somebody coming to know Jesus and needing to be discipled. This was them. This apostle's teaching had everything to do with weaving together all of the Old Testament and much of the stuff that, of which they were already aware, some of which they knew, at least to some degree, but now bringing Jesus into the equation and saying, he's the one that fulfilled all of this. This, he is the one that you were looking for. He is the one in whom now hope is found. Because it's not gonna, that hope is not going to be found in any political affiliation. It's not going to come from, a, from the Roman government. In fact, the Roman government is abusive toward you. Where is the hope going to come from? This was the apostles' teaching. Everything from the Old Testament... All, it's a collective thing. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. So now, regularly, they are devoting themselves, and we'll see as we move through, but they're meeting in houses, and they're breaking bread, and they're having meals, and all woven throughout all of these practices, there are, there are these four key things, and that the first one is the apostles' teaching. They discipled them. This is what the Christian life looks like. And the, 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 the challenge for the apostles was they were trying to figure out what the, what the Christian life looked like. Because they didn't have the navigators to tell them how, or a campus crusade, or, or uh, any theologian. They had to figure out what this looked like. The apostles' teaching. A living, practical theology. The apostles' teaching became their reason for living, for being. The second part of that first couplet is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. It's interesting, and it's, it sounds like a really nitnoid, nerdy kind of thing, but in the Greek, it does not read uh, that they devoted themselves to fellowship. 
It is to the fellowship. When we think of fellowship, we think of, hey, let's get together. For co- you want to get together for coffee? Yeah, it's a great idea. Let's grab coffee together. I haven't done that for. I haven't seen you for. Let's grab coffee together. Oh, let's have church dinner. Let's do that. Okay, we did that way back in the day. Um, <clears throat> that's often what we think. Let's just kind of hang out. Let's do. do we'll, we'll do. We'll just kind of talk for a while. It's fellowship. We've got to have food. Those kinds of things. Okay, the word the fellowship has a much deeper, or that, that phrase, the fellowship, has much, a much deeper issue, uh, uh, connotation. The, this isn't just getting together for coffee. The idea of the fellowship has everything to do with identity. So stop for a second, just think about their world, their, let alone the apostles and everything that they had experienced. <clears throat> now these individuals, most of whom for, are from Jewish background, now all of a sudden they come to, to Jesus, they've drawn a line in the sand, they've run the risk of losing relationship with their own family members and their jobs and everything else, and now their whole identity is shifted to somebody three months ago or whenever, that they had nothing to do with. And now their whole identity was with him and with this other pe- group of people, with these other people. The fellowship isn't just coming to church on Sunday or going to Bible studies. It is the fellowship. It is a sense of identity. It is, this is us kind of a thing. This is who we are. We are Jesus' people in a way that marks, potentially, North Country Alliance Church. Third, uh, the, the, the third uh, practice is the breaking of bread. Uh, a lot to be said here, not much will be, but th- because there's a little bit of controversy about what this means. At the very least, certainly it involves communion. What we're going to do is, well, you do this every week. But... If you combine that couplet with the previous couplet with this one, now we're, we're dealing with not only fellowship, but the fellowship, a sense of identity. And the breaking of bread is not only communion, it is also regularly having meals together. Love feasts is often a phrase that's used in some commentators, or in, in some commentator, uh, commentaries. There's this sense of we are doing life together. In fact, they are meeting regularly in each other's homes. It's a way of life. It's not a program. We used to do dinners for eight. Uh, uh, dinners for eight. It was a great idea. It really was. Eight people getting together every month, and then I think we shifted houses, right, and that kind of thing, and we did it during the summer. Dinners for eight, it was great. It was great. It really was. It wasn't necessarily the fellowship. The difference, yes, making sense. It was fellowship, but there was a sense of identity. There is a sense of identity. There's a deeper thing. And, and frankly, if I'm in Pastor Kevin's position at the moment, or if I were, I don't know what that would look like for North Country Alliance Church. I don't know what that would look like for you. I don't know what the sense of identity would look like, but therein lies the point. They've had to figure it out. And nobody else, nobody had written this stuff. You couldn't read a book about it. Seven or four behaviors that will galvanize your church. There was nothing like that. A common identity with Christ 
a collective commitment to the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And then the last one was the prayers. So it wasn't just praying. This is kind of an interesting one. It was probably truly a first century Jewish maybe kind of carryover in which people, there were more formalized prayer times. But they were praying and people were committed to these four, not just behaviors, like if we do this then something really good is going to happen, this is just the kind of people that we're going to be. Verse 43, there's a little bit of an interlude that I would like to, to read. So we're at chapter 2, 43. Um, Everyone was filled with a sense of awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This is kind of like a commercial break, an editorial comment here by, by Luke. The, the word awe which I always get a reaction out of that, especially when I say it in Georgia. Um, I grew up in, you know, Catskill, New York, so awe is A-W-E. Is it just, you know, uh, it is what it is. Um, they were filled with awe. The Greek word there is phobos. It sounds like, what English word? Phobos. Phobia, yes? You're with me? You're with me? This is, you're with me, Right? Okay, pho, like phobos and phobia, that sounds good. Okay, good, good. Um, phobia has to do with, like, I'm scared of heights, and I am. Like, I don't, wanna, I don't like to get up on the edge of a cliff or, or whatever, okay? I, I don't know if I have a phobia about it, but I have a fear of heights. Sometimes we think, you know, well, you know, we don't have that kind of, you know, we don't have to fear God. Let's just back up for a moment. Just imagine the disciples for three and a half years, seeing all that they had seen. Experiencing what they had experienced. And, and, and in a very earthbound sort of way. And then, and then all of the stuff that, that Jesus experienced in his death and his resurrection. And my goodness, the ascension. If you weren't scared, yes, phob- uh, the, the word phobos here carries the idea of respect and awe and wonder and so on. But there is, this, there is a sense of, holy cow, how do you explain this stuff? Like, real, yes. And they're living this out, they're watching this happen. And there is this sense of awe over the wonders and the signs and wonders that were taking place a lot can be said here, but there are some, there's some suggestion here that wonders may have more to do with our imagination and signs may have more to do with our cognitive thought processes. A heart and mind kind of thing in all of this. So here's the deal. In all of this, my thought is that God was absolutely reframing and transforming, forgive me for the term, if it doesn't fit right away, their entire cosmology. Everything they thought about God and how he, who he is and how he operates, that was all new to them. 
This all happened in the span of three and a half years with the apostles and in the span of a few days in terms of these new believers. There was something remarkable about all of this. And I think that their cosmology, again, their way of thinking, their way of orienting their world, their relationships with God, with other people, how they related to their government, how they, saw their under, how they understood the role of the church, in, in its budding, in its emerging, all of this was being transformed. And that's what God was after. We, we finish up this chapter, and we're, we're going to wrap up in just a second here. But they had everything together. They, they met together in proximity. They had everything in common. They persisted in selling, some of them, for selling their, their, their property. They continued to meet, as we've looked before. uh, uh, They they continued. They devoted themselves to meeting. They broke bread in their houses, their their homes. They ate together, glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and enjoying favor of all the people. And what was the outcome of all of this? Last verse. What was the outcome? To who? Okay, the Lord added daily those who were being saved. God's sovereignty, Lord adding daily those who are being saved, human responsibility, meeting, praying, devoting, never goes away. It's not a formula. It's not suggesting that if you do these particular practices, North Country Alliance Church is going to explode with 3,000 people. Um. But I do think that Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, provides us with a picture of some practices and ways of being that restore hope for people who either never had that hope or who have lost it. And that would be my prayer for North Country Alliance Church. Acts chapter 2, 40, uh, and, snippets from, and uh, snippets from these verses, 42 to 47, was uh, on our original letterhead um, at the very, very bottom. And um, it served us well. I'm going to ask, uh, as we transition to communion, um, that you stand. I, I want to leave you with a benediction. Um, this is not a benediction to leave, but a benediction to transition us to communion. Um, and it's taken from Romans 15, verse 13, um, intentionally. So this is my benediction for you as North Country Alliance Church. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.